Welcome to Rap Stories, a show where I get the background on some of my favorite albums of all time by the artists who made them. I'm your host, David Dennis Jr., and today I'm joined by Wiz Khalifa to discuss his album, Cushion OJ. Now, y'all know there was no way I was going to have a rap story show highlighting some blog era classics and not mention the most classic blog era project, Wiz Khalifa's Cushion OJ. The mixtape dropped April 14, 2010, the day after my 24th birthday when I was living in New Orleans, grinding away as a blogger, wrapping myself up in every new release, and none was bigger than Cushion OJ. Wiz had established himself as a fan favorite, earning buzz as a new torchbearer of stoner raps. And by the time Cushion OJ dropped, the demand was at an all-time high. The album was trending number one for four days straight and overwhelmed servers across the internet. When we were finally able to download it, we got a classic that displayed Wiz Khalifa in all of his musical glory. Floating over beats like they were Kush Clouds, tiptoeing over Disney samples, and harmonizing on tracks like Up, the standout homage to Weed. Cushion OJ is the album that made Wiz's star power undeniable. Hey, your bitch can see this shit from across the street, nigga. It's pimping over here. I mean, we should have all seen it coming. The project stayed in rotation all spring and summer long. It was mood music personified. Wiz Khalifa was a force to be reckoned with. He had just landed on the coveted XXL freshman cover with the likes of J. Cole, Big Sean, Nipsey Hussle, Freddie Gibbs, and others. He was also in the process of reinventing himself after a record deal with a label that didn't quite know what to do with his talents. But no one could have predicted the heights he'd reach in just a few short years. Fast forward to 2011, and Wiz was back at South by Southwest Fresh off his number one single, Black and Yellow, which helped get his hometown Pittsburgh Steelers to the Super Bowl. Wiz was a new person, fully manifesting to the star we knew he'd always be from a small bar in that South by Southwest stage. There may not be an album from the blog era that did more for an artist than Kush and OJ did for Wiz. And there may not have been a better album from that era than this, if you ask me. You can't talk about the blog era, hell, rap in the past 15 years without talking about Wiz Khalifa. Cushion OJ is considered a mixtape that plays more like a cohesive body of work due to its world-class storytelling, vivid imagery, and lyrical dexterity. This project is just straight up fun to listen to and always brings me back to those carefree moments as a 24-year-old journalist by day and Cushion OJ fanatic by night. And here to discuss Cushion OJ is a superstar who used the blog era to usher himself in as a household name and one of the game's most consistent MCs around, a blog-era Mount Rushmore legend, Wiz Khalifa. Thank you for having me. That was a good intro. Thank you for coming on the show, man. Let's get into it. Take us back to what that era meant for you. It's all about just having fun, enjoying ourselves, enjoying the people that we were around. And a lot of the times, it was just, you know, what was cool for us. You know, I think what mainstream at that time was is, is totally different from what it is now. And um, we didn't see ourselves as really uh, blending in with everybody else at that time. 
So, you know, we made it kind of our uh, our goal to really like stand out and, you know, stand on the things that we believe in. Do you remember those early South by Southwest shows? Also, like the one I'm talking about in particular was Afternoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. I was walking around. It was just me and Will. I think we had caught a, a flight there from, from Dallas. I had just performed in Texas somewhere else. But we had just caught a flight there, you know, got a hotel. And as you know, the hotels are pretty far from where the actual shit is going down at. So when you're in the mix, you're in the mix, man. And um, that was one of my main goals. I had been down to South by Southwest before, but I didn't get a chance to, um, you know, fully like indulge. I was still on Warner Brothers at the time. And, uh, you know, so this was my first time going down there, um, you know, with the blog era attitude where it's like, you know, I'm going to just be in the streets. I'm going to get in where I can. I'm perform where I can. I'm going to meet whoever I can. I'm going to get clothes from whoever I can. And, um, you know, like you said, we all just kind of became a community where we supported and showed each other love. I was watching old clips of you performing, like, who was Wiz Khalifa 2010, you know, coming into making Cushion OJ, but also, like, discovering yourself as, as a talent? Yeah, um, i say it's, it's still the same guy. Um, really creative, really just trying to figure out a way to do, you know, the things that I enjoy in a way that nobody's ever done them before. And um, for me, that's always just been by being myself. I never really, you know, used too much craziness to stand out. Um, it was mainly just based off of my love for the game, my talent and, and my personality. And, you know, at that time, a lot of things weren't really being documented or brought to the forefront or seen at that level. And I think I was one of the main ones to uh, to bring that point of view to where, you know, a lot of us may or may not have been living that life at that time, but it was showing, you know, what that consisted of. And, um, you know, people looked up to that. They wanted to be a part of that. Or there were some people who were already doing that and um, it just wasn't being shown. So they were like, damn, you know, Wiz, Wiz, uh, he fucking gets it. And that's, that's kind of where I stood out at was, um, you know, bringing the the musical aspect, but also so documenting that shit, too. The idea of, like, figuring it out is important because, like, there was just a crop of y'all that just knew, that seemed to just have the internet understood and figured out. I would put currency in that list. I would say Smoke Diz would be in that list, too, yeah. of people who just knew how to make the internet work for you. Like, how did that sort of come about for you? It was, it was, still is. It's real life. It's based off of, you know, how we communicate with each other. And that's what, you know, brought more people uh, along with us. Um, it kind of was like a crowd that was in the shadows. It was like videographers and fashion people and just different types of crowds that were, you know, really important in the in the art game and, you know, in what we do as far as the culture. But uh, just blending all that together and... um I, it wasn't intentional to go to the internet and be like, hey, this is our outlet for it. But being that, you know, Twitter is free and YouTube is so free and everything was right there at our hands, it still is. Um, you know, we were, we were able to push our, our agenda and our point of view and our narrative. And that's something that people uh, grasped onto is just the narrative that we were pushing and the attitude and the style of dress and, the, you know, influences and all of those things. 
it had come at a time when people really needed to be, you know, brought up and, you know, raised on that type of stuff. So it was, it's a good time for, uh, for all of us to just be able to ex- express ourselves and explore and learn new shit, uh, be around people who are, who are uh, like-minded as well. I think the definitive song of the blog era is Car Service. We're going to get into Christian OJ, but, but I think Car Service is the song that takes me back to that place. This is one of my favorite songs of all time. Yeah, thank you. And like, and I hear it, I'm right in 2010, I'm right, broke, eating pizza on 6th Street, and like just feeling that that time period, just talk mm-hmm. to me about car service and how it sort of aged. Because you guys, when y'all are together, y'all still performing. Yeah, definitely, we still perform that. That was a perfect song. Um, you know, for us just becoming friends, me and Currency. Uh, I think he had sent me like one or two songs before we did car service, or probably one, honestly. And um it was the instrumental and shit. And he was like, yeah, we're just going to do this little tape, little instrumental tape. I'm like, nah, nigga. The way we're going to do it is <laughs> I got producers at the crib and we're going to get some original production and we're going to make some real songs. So, you know, that's why I sparked it like that. And uh, I sent him, you know, the verse and the hook and he killed it. And I think at that time, you know, it's just, as far, it's like these days, when people know what's going to go viral, like I knew when I heard that beat and when I sang that hook and when I rapped those first couple bars, I knew at that time that that was just going to be a standout, you know, situation. And it was. Yeah, I po- I actually posted <laughs> it on, on, on Twitter a couple of days ago and they were talking, there was a conversation about one of the great intro tracks of all time and great intro yeah. verses of all time. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the, I don't know how it happens for other people, but for me, that that shit is intentional. So, yeah, I definitely knew going in, like, that I was going to make, like, a legendary, you know, intro to that. I want to get into Cushion OJ, which is why we're here. The classic mixtape slash album slash project, whatever you want to call it. When was the last time you listened to Cushion OJ? Shit. In its entirety, probably last year because I had to do. No, I think it was maybe this year. Yeah, it was this year because I had to do the Smokers Club, but I performed the entire mixtape there on stage. So, yeah, it was this year, probably in in the spring. What was that experience like to go back, you know, and revisit the album? I mean, you think when you go back to it. It's good listening to it. It's fun. And it kind of like reminds me like exactly where I was at or what I was doing at the time. And it, it also puts me in a, a place where I'm like, damn, I was really saying some shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. like whether it's manifesting, you know, reality or where, of where I'm at now, or if it's just my point of view from back then, it's really, really funny to hear, uh, you know, the type of stuff that I'm into, that I was into. <laughs> And the manifesting part is is like really interesting because like people don't realize that a lot of the blog era folks, even though they were visible, even though they were superstars in a lot of different ways, were just gr- like starting off and grinding and like yeah. really, you know, yeah. I won't, I don't, I don't know what everybody's situation was. I know I was broke as hell. Yeah, we were putting it together. I was just thinking today how uh, you know everybody loved the camo shorts. And how that became like the staple for the time, but that that was like totally out of necessity. Like, you know <laughs> right. what I mean? I didn't ha- I didn't have no other fucking pants. <laughs> so 
You know what I mean? We just made it cool to wear the same ones every day over and over. And I became comfortable and not scared to present myself that way. In turn, you know, became a freaking a fashion statement. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's take it back to Cushion OJ. Where were you when you wrote the album, when you started putting together the album? Like, take me back to that Wiz Khalifa, that person that was, you know, formulating the idea for how to make this project. Yeah, so it was a freaking combination of things. Shit, I, pro- I started it in the fall. I don't remember what year, uh, but the year before it came out, I started it that fall. and. I had no idea where I was going with the music. Just, just kind of, you know, coming off of doing some things, had been some places and seeing some stuff. I had like a couple songs collected from before. So the idea wasn't really there. It started to develop, you know, later on in the, the year or into the next year. Uh, I had traveled to Canada, uh, met my homeboy, Jake. He's still a friend of mine now. And that's where the name actually came from. He had seen my laptop or actually smelled my laptop and was like, your laptop smells like cushion orange juice. <laughs> and I was like, what's that mean? And he was like, well, I don't know. He was explaining. He was like, it smells like the weed because you obviously break down weed. And this laptop, you know, is where I would edit all my videos, where I would find my music. It's where I did all my blogging. So it's basically like my workstation. And the fact that he said my workstation smelled like cushion orange juice, it really applied to my life. So that's how I was able to name the album. And um, yeah, that was one thing that I felt like it was just a lifestyle thing. So after I got the name, then I started to like drop the tag in and out of the uh, the records because I felt like it was a lifestyle. So it was like I had to brand it and really explain to people what this cushion orange juice is or was to me at the time. And um, yeah, so that that became the, the rest of the process was just describing exactly what the hell Cushion Orange Juice is and what the lifestyle is and what it means. So those were the, those are the songs. And it's just like the, you know, the adventures of me, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, figuring it out and, and kind of just defining what it what it is. And um, by the end of the, the album, by the time I wrapped it up, um, I had just come off of tour. And I think one of the last songs that I wrote really was Mesmerized. Mm. And to me, that's why that song is so clean, because I had the whole lifestyle ready. I had the whole style of dress ready. We had everything. The lingo was all the way there. So it was a it was a complete package. 
And um, and then, yeah, I was just ready to drop it. So wait, so was there any actual orange juice involved? Like, what, like why did your computer smell like cushion and orange juice? It just... <laughs> <laughs> the orange juice was from the gin in the, in the mimosas. Because okay. I was on, I was on a real, well, I still drink gin, but gin and juice. But I was on a real big, heavy mimosa stage too. So I would be in the studio, you know, drink, smoking weed, drinking mimosas, <laughs> getting fucking orange juice all, all over the place. Uh, so, yeah. Mimosas, like that's not a drink I would associate with studios or rappers or anything like that's a that's a wild yeah that's the thing we was different you know what i mean (laughs) just talking about drinking clico and you know Uh champagne and and we was just we was just on some different shit we was on some player shit so there would be any given morning we would wake up and get mimosas or we would be in the studio or we would go to lunch and you know what i mean it's just a vibe it was always and it still is always a more upscale uh, lifestyle and, you know, vibe that we try to present. And it's just something like we're just more relaxed than everybody else, too, I feel like. Let's talk about the actual, the album comes out, right? Yeah. And, I mean, I distinctly remember because, like, it was impossible to download. Like, there was, you know, for for those folks who don't know, before streaming, you had to go on, like, Datpiff and all that stuff, and the servers essentially shut down. I think so far gone did that when Drake's thing came out and Kush and OJ's probably the only other time that happened. Right. Like, where, where was that like something y'all were trying to do? Did that catch y'all by surprise? I mean, it caught me by surprise. I like, we knew of, you. we knew you were going to have a big project. We knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. But I did not know that it was going to hit the internet like it did. No, I didn't, I didn't know it was going to shut down the internet and, you know, reach as many people as it did. Um, <clears throat> at that point, I was on the second leg of my tour. So I had already finished the the mixtape. And before then, the only other project that I dropped on online, like on Twitter and shit, was um was uh Flight School. And then we did How Fly with me and me and Currency. So that was those were like my first little, you know what I mean, in the internet world. I was like, all right, cool. This is this is how you drop a mixtape, this is how you build a buzz. It's how you, you know, drop videos, do this, that, and the other thing. And through that process, it, you know, led me to being like dropping cushion orange juice on my own. So leading up to it, I didn't know what to expect. I just put in the work and built up the anticipation, you know, uh, between my fans. Uh, because at that time, when you dropped on a blog, or when you drop your material, you you might or might not get picked up by blogs. It just depends on which ones fucked with you or knew about you. Or if you started bringing traffic and brought more clicks, then people would fuck with you more. But I was at that, you know, kind of middle stage where nobody was really doing anything like out of their way. So everything was really organic. And um, I just remember hyping it up to my to my fans, make sure they were excited uh, going on Ustream, um, you know, just doing doing all of those things that that I felt like were you know important to uh, to making sure that it was like a decent fucking <laughs> mixtape rollout. And uh, yeah, I just dropped that bitch like whenever I wanted to. As soon as I got the cover ready, I just dropped that motherfucker. And um, yeah, it was it was pretty cool to see the reaction and to see people like searching for it and not being able to get it or 
it being uh trending on on Twitter for as long as it was, or it was like trending on Google. My name was like one of the most you know popular things being typed in at the time. So none of that was expected at all. It was it was just strictly you know gonna go for my fans, and then that was it. What was your reaction? So it drops. You see all this stuff going crazy. Like what what's going through your mind as this as this is happening? Shit. It was it was pretty like gradual for me. It, it wasn't it wasn't like an overnight success or anything like that. It was uh it was always like, all right, I go home, I do the mesmerize video and I drop that. And then I do the kid Frankie video and I drop that. And then I go on tour and I start seeing, you know, people's reaction. I do a couple festivals and things like that. And I think I did a video for Never Been as well. And then by that time, it had started to catch on more where I would see, I was getting uh, phone calls from like industry people or there were more label people showing up to the shows. And then that's when I started to realize, I'm like, oh, okay, they they fucking with it. Like, you know, because to me at that time, the internet wasn't as popular. Like if you cared about the internet, you cool. But people were separate. Like you, it was like you was there was the mainstream, and then there was the hipsters, and we were more just the hipsters. We weren't the people to like take too seriously. So when I started seeing, you know, the mainstreamers start to pay attention to what the hipsters were doing, that's when I realized it was uh, it was taking effect. And there were a few projects, sort of two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Like I think that sort of changed the course of these mixtapes, like. When we th- thought about mixtapes before, like you think Lil Wayne rapping over other people's beats and, you know, like there were concept songs and things like that. But I think Cushion OJ, Crit Was Here, Pilot Talk, a couple of those things like that. Like this, like Cushion OJ was a full fledged album that really, I think, made people realize that you could have a classic album, but call it a mixtape and and drop it, you know, so. Like, I'm I'm interested in your approach to actually formulating the project as a whole. Yeah, I grew up in, like, the real mixtape era where it was, like, fucking Styles P, and then there was a fabulous freestyle, and then it was, like, you know what I mean? So I know that type of mixtape as well, and I love those types of mixtapes. And then, like you said, Lil Wayne, you know, going crazy over uh, instrumentals. And even then, I feel like, he was more just in the studio, like just going crazy. And then there was somebody like compiling and putting to putting it together. And then you have, um, and this is just my personal like recollection of how things went. But then it was like, uh, like Jeezy, you know what I mean? With, with trap, with trapper die. And, um, and even with that mixtape, I feel like, uh, he was kind of just getting it ready for the album. So he was like highlighting the album. And then, uh, you know, using that to promote the album, which was really dope as well. But then uh, it started to change. And then there started to be like Kid Cudi and, you know what I mean? Or uh, people were doing like Gangsta Grills where they would, you know, actually just be in with one producer or two or three producers and things like that. So you started to see it like shape and mold where a mixtape was more about that artist, like sound and personality. And that's uh, where I came in and was like, all right, cool. We're going to take it from just being random songs and I'm going to actually produce a a complete thought 
and put that out there as, you know, my project. And I wasn't the only one. I feel like, uh, in my opinion, there was uh, Wale who would do stuff like that. J. J. Cole was on it. Um, yeah, there's uh, even like, uh, what's that boy name? Charles Hamilton. Do you remember him? Yeah, yeah, I remember Charles. <laughs> Charles Hamilton was my first My first ever interview with Charles Hamilton, man. <laughs> Mickey, Mickey Facts and shit like that. You know what I mean? Like, those dudes, we... I I was seeing, you know, how the personality was coming out through the mixtapes as well. Um, Not just like, you know, scatter everything. So, yeah, that was my approach to that was to be like, you know, these are my producers. This is who I fuck with. These are the beats that I like. Um, These are the concepts that, you know what I mean? Like full song concepts, not just freestyles. Like, you know what I mean? Just different moments. And I had, I definitely had a lot of practice leading up to that point. I, I think I did like 10 mixtapes leading up to that point. So I tried like different things and, you know, through all of that, I was able to, you know, put something together that I was like, oh yeah, this is the one right here. I saw this interview. You got to clear this up for me. I saw this interview where somebody said you finished all the songs in one take. Each song was done in one take. Every song? Yeah. Somebody said everything you did was in one take. <laughs> Who said that? Uh, I I want to say it was it was somebody at Rostrum who said it. I want to say it might have been Will, but it might not have been. It was it was an interview I saw. Somebody said you went in and did the whole thing in one take. If it wasn't one take, it was a uh, it was less. It was I don't even know how you do less than one take, but yeah, the whole <laughs> the whole thing was really really organic. Yeah, there's songs like Up that that shit took like 15 minutes to write, maybe even less. Um, mesmerized. I had the whole thing like locked in when I went in the booth. So nobody ever even seen me writing that song. They just heard the beat <laughs> and then they heard the complete song. Uh, in the cut, I remember uh, hearing the beat on tour and then I was we was randomly down the playground and I'm just in my car going through beats and then I just left and just went straight to the studio. Nobody even know, knew why. I just did. Just, I had to record that motherfucker. Like, a lot of those songs were right then and there, like, on the spot. Like, I knew, like, something was happening with them. So is that, like, is that just you in the zone? Is that, like, you nor- how you normally do it? Or were you just, like, hitting on all cylinders at, at that time? When I'm being creative and, like, really, really sensitive, I could have an idea whenever. And, um, you know, the quicker I get those ideas out, the better. And at that time, a lot of stuff was flowing because, like I said, I was on tour. Social media was new. I was traveling a lot, meeting a lot of new people, just staying in random places, sleeping on couches and stuff like that. So I had a uh, I had a lot of material. You currency, those folks kind of ushered in this new area, stoner, stoner rap. Like, why do you think? this type of rap about weed resonated sort of in a different way than like the Snoops and the Devin the Dude type. It sort of brought it to a new generation. Why do you think it was, you know, so, you know, relevant when you did it? That's a good question. Because to me, uh, the Snoops and the Devin the Dudes are the ones who made it relevant to me. Uh, Bone Thugs and Harmony, Dipset, Lil Wayne, um, those are all dudes that 
smoke a ton of weed and stood by it and put it in their wraps and smoked it on camera and things like that. So we just came up behind them doing what we seen them do. And I was going to really shout out Devin and do because keeping the integrity of the music as well as smoking a shit ton of weed has always been uh, a big thing as well. And, you know, I love Snoop, not to say that his music doesn't have integrity, but there's just a different, different type of lyricism, a different type of, uh, you know, production and things like that, that if you listen to all of these people, you'll get a complete package of what it is to be a good weed artist. And uh, that's what we were able to do. We just we got we came up on a complete package. We got some real good OGs, Method Man and Red Man. We got really good examples of, you know, how to rap and smoke pot and be cool as hell. So we just stick into the script and it's what worked for us is just being organic and being original. One of the things that for me resonated with is that like you guys just smoking weed and doing like regular shit, you know, like it was just like, yeah. you know, like a lot of times I think, especially in earlier hip hop, it was like you know, a little bit of gangster rap, a little bit of weed, like that's what you do. Yeah. But it was also like, we just smoke weed and just like play Xbox or like, you know what I'm <laughs> yeah, saying? Yeah, like yeah. just smoke weed and just go hang out. What I seen the most on my way up was a lot of people were scared to do that shit. Like they were smoking the cut or they were like, hit some weed right. and then go jump on stage. And I'm like, that's weird. Like <laughs> <laughs> if you smoke, just do that shit like in public, just do it in front of everybody. Like, Quit hiding that shit. And that's where we changed our generation is we showed a lot of motherfuckers like it wasn't that bad. And we would just spark up places that people would trip out on the first 20 people who tried to light up and we would light up and then they'd be like, oh, man, you let them do it. It's all right. So blah, blah, blah. So, you know, just seeing that and, you know, people being able to function and be peaceful and get their business done and, you know. I think in in our profession, the more people who like smoke weed, especially with as many people that we deal with, um, they'll be a lot better, you know, if, especially if you can function. Like if you're not just like, you know, uh, zonked out on weed and shit like that, like if you're able to smoke and conduct a conversation and get through your day, like go for it. I think that was, that was important, too, because it was like. You don't have to be like high out your mind to enjoy weed. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like y'all could just yeah. do weed, like smoke, and then just like function and make music and just do normal stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's the point. Like the point's not to get freaking stone out of your mind and, and just be done. Like the the point is to smoke weed and get money. Right. <laughs> that's ideal. <laughs> that's the, that's the way to go. I think uh, you know, obviously weed is a huge theme in the album, but like going back and listen to it now, like, one of the themes that, like, I can't get over is that, like, you, you're taking somebody's girl every verse on on, <laughs> on the album. Yeah. It's such a very hip-hop staple thing to do, but also kind of like a young dude thing, and it's just, like, all through the album, that sort of shit-talking that's very, very much a part of this album. Yeah, I mean, shit, I was young, and I was really just, like, surprised that girls liked me. <laughs> I'm like, y'all usually like street dudes or, you know, the majority of like tough guys or athletes or whatever, whatever. But I smoke pot and, you know, dress how I dress and blah, blah, blah. 
but it was really, really easy to to kind of like come up and, you know, change how people were thinking. And um, yeah, it was a surprise. So it's definitely in there a lot because of how caught off guard I was at my ability to do these things. <laughs> uh, yeah, it makes you want to clutch your girlfriend a little bit closer and one and go through a, a phone a little bit. You know, she's safe now. She's cool. <laughs> Obviously, it broke the internet. I think became something that was treated like a classic album. And it puts you in a new stratosphere in terms of artists and people you are with in your circle and things like that. I'm assuming at this time you're meeting the Snoops, you're meeting the Devin, the dudes. Like, who are some of these artists that were probably you were the most excited to actually share a joint with or any stories of like smoking weed with some of your heroes or anything like that? Yeah, man. Or your favorite uh, artist to, to smoke with? Yeah, Rick Ross was was really cool. He still is really cool, but he was super nice to me on my way up. Invited me to his house, gave me a ton of weed to smoke, took me in currency shoe shopping. Uh, yeah, he's always been a solid guy. Uh, Rick Ross has been the homie forever. Um, of course, Snoop Dogg, like you said, just meeting him, he's been an idol of mine and somebody who... I literally would watch on TV and be like, I want to smoke with him. I want to chill with him. I want to hang out with him. I want to be on stage with him. I just want to back do backgrounds for him. And I've been able to, and I had the opportunity to do it. And it was so freaking cool. And it's cool every time. Uh, Juicy J, another person who uh, I always looked up to and was always one of my favorite artists. And just being able to, you know, meet him, smoke with him, chop it up and be a, a best friend to him has been um, been really exciting. And um, at this time, I would definitely say Puff Daddy. Uh, he came out of nowhere and just admired my whole flow, my whole style. Was like, you know, just giving me a lot of credit and just telling me to keep going and pulled up at one of my early shows, like before I was doing it, it wasn't even 5,000 people in there. And Puff Daddy pulled up to the show, put on a Taylor Gang hoodie and got drunk with us. So it was cool as hell, man. That was, that was a really good time. In terms of also talking about this sort of take it to the next level, I want to go back. Uh, you were talking about realizing that girls liked you. Like, what was one of those early moments where you were like, I'm a, you know, the ladies like Wiz Khalifa when I'm out in the streets. Like, what are some of those early moments you sort of starting to realize that? It was um, definitely on on tour. You know, I told you I went on a lot of different tours. But it was uh, the caliber and the number of chicks that, that started to change. Because it went from, you know, just hanging out from like one or two chicks that I know to hanging out with like six chicks <laughs> that I don't know. <laughs> and, you know, finding out, you know, she has a boyfriend or she, you know, used to talk to this guy and he found out. And it's just a lot of different situations or she just left, you know, being with this person and now she's here or, you know, when she's there, she, she acts like, this but when she's with me she acts like that so there's a lot going on at that time you know there's a lot a lot of brand new information so it wasn't like that before is what you're saying 
Well, you know, just being from Pittsburgh, uh, I always had attention from from ladies or, you know, was out there to get attention from ladies. So it's like if I meet a chick in the club, we're going to talk, we're going to have a conversation. Or if you have a friend, you know, we all going to take some shots and have a good time. And I invite you to a party or you invite me just regular, normal stuff, nothing too, you know, out of the out of the ordinary. But the more I travel and the more, um, you know, random the situations started to be, the more information I started to get on how different people operate. I can relate. As a journalist, I write a real fire article. Women just start, you know what I'm saying, coming around me. There you go. You know what I'm saying? It's a good grammar, good, you know, subject verb agreement. They be all over me. I, you know, I, I feel you. I feel you. I know what it's like. I found out that girls love nice guys. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So if you just be nice, you'll be good. What is probably the most memorable studio moment that you can recall from Kush and OJ? I would have to say they all, man, have their own kind of significance. But um, right now, the first one that comes to my mind is when we recorded Glass House. And uh, that happened at South by Southwest, at a house in South by Southwest. Uh, me and Currency, we had a show to go do like while we were recording it. And you can actually hear me in the song, or I think it was me or him, but he was like, man, they has got a show and everything. But they were they were rushing us, like Will was trying to get us out of there. Crit's manager was trying to get us out of there. But, um, you know, I had heard that we were all down there at the same time. And I was such a fan of Crit, love Crit so much, love Spitter so much. And it was just so convenient that we were all there. It had to happen. So we found out who had a house. We found out who had a mic. We found out who had a laptop. And uh, Crit brought the beat up and we just, you know, recorded that joint right in somebody's living room just randomly. And to me, it felt like a movie. It felt like hustle and flow (laughs) because nobody was in there when we started recording. But the more pieces we put together, the more people just started being in there. And then like by the time it was done, like everybody was just behind the mic like this. So it was funny as shit to just see like the whole room build up. And everybody do their part. And um, yeah, everybody wrote it on the spot. Like that shit was fire as fuck, man. It was it was a really good vibe. It was cool. Yeah, man. Like that, like I mean, Glasshouse is obviously one of the another one of those iconic sort of like collaboration from that time. And like obviously you and Crit and Dizza just did something together. And like you guys have all sort of that community pushed each other. Like, talk to me about like that rapper community from that blog era time and like how y'all motivate each other, pushed each other, you know, competed, you know, friendly competition with each other and sort of drove each other to be better. Mm, yeah, I, I would I would say there was never no no friendly competition. Like I feel like that comes from like the nineties and shit like that. Or like back in the day where it's like, oh my verse gotta be better than this nigga's verse. Like I gotta say some 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 crazy shit because I heard him say some crazy shit. But like literally, like none of us ever rewrote our verses. Like we'll never hear hear one other nigga say something and then be like, oh, I gotta say something better, blah, blah, blah. Like we always go based off of our life. So it's whatever our day was, whatever our month was, whatever our year was, wherever we're trying to get, whatever 
where we're trying to spend our next couple thousand dollars on. Like, that's what we're talking about personally. So that's why we've always been able to communicate on that level, uh, you know, creatively. Because it's not about best thing. We're just bringing, you know, our lives to the table. And we're all um, such, you know, interesting individuals that we all have something to really talk about. Like our point of view is good. Just our, our thought process on life is dope. The way we dress is dope. The way we treat people is amazing. You know, the food we order is good. So it just, you know, it sounds, it sounds amazing on the track. And as far as like, camaraderie and just sticking with it um you know we'll never not involve each other in in our careers um there's definitely you know not to say anything about anybody else from that time but there is people that the more that they've done the less that they start you know the less that they work with the people who are around but we're not like that and um We'll, we'll never be those types of people where it's like we get to a certain point and don't involve the same ones who we've been with. I still can't, you know, wrap my head around just sitting around drinking mimosas like that. What was you like the essential Wiz Khalifa in the studio kit for then back when you were making this? Some weed, uh, some papers, some lighters, either champagne, or gin. It was Bombay at the time. <laughs> uh, and a baddie. Okay. Man, yeah. How how has that evolved now? What are, what are you in the studio? I know I see you got your gallon of water now. You're drinking. Yeah, yeah. I drink I drink water. And all that stuff. What's 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 the studio what's the studio situation now? Definitely weed. Um there's gin sometimes, honestly. Like I I, I like to record not uh not drunk. Cause I feel like I could pronounce my words better now, but, um, sometimes, you know, we just get faded for the vibe to like, just come up with some ideas or something like that. It'll go down. I'm not too strict on that, but I wouldn't say that I need the gin in the studio, but definitely we water in a batting. Okay. That, that, yeah. that has not changed, but except for, except for the, the wall, I'm I can't get gin. Uh, this, is, this is sort of a, a tangent, but I cannot do gin at all. Like I can't even yes, like you can. I, like gin does not does not yes, do it for me. Give me a brown liquor. You'd be surprised how many people who drink different types of liquor who experience gin the right way. They're like, wow, this is not as bad as I thought it was. So what do you like? So what do you like? What kind of gin? Like you said, Bombay back then. Are you doing like a a nice fine sipping gin or something like that now? What, do, what yeah, are you talking about? I got my own company now. It's called McQueen McQueen and the Violet Fog. So it's the same feeling that you get from any other gin, but it just tastes way better. Like the taste is way more enjoyable, and it's not like a fruity, false, sugary taste. It's like it's real. It's a good. It's a, it's a great gin. So straight up, straight up on the rocks? Either straight up, you mix it with one of these sparkling waters that we got, or you could do a ginger beer, nice little gin mule. Um, Yeah, there's a couple ways to enjoy it. There's mixtures and there's straight up as well. All right, I need to get a kit. We we need to talk, get your people to talk to my people and give me a a gin. We need a gin, a gin tasting I got you, bro. Uh, experience from 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 Will Khalifa take us through the whole. I, I, already, I already know what the what the review is going to be, but we're going <laughs> we're going to ask anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I give I give I give good on honest feedback. Uh, <laughs> so one one of the songs I want to talk about here is in the studio. Like 
what I think one of the beauties of of this time and making these albums, making these mixtapes, that you just try new things. Like you sort of find your voice and try something and try to experiment and see what works or doesn't work. Up is one of those songs that I think stands out on the album. Obviously, it's a total. It's a, it's a different vibe. You're singing on there. Like, tell me how Up came about, and you know, just just the process of trying new things on these on these album on these mixtapes. Yeah. So when I did Up, I remember reaching out on my Twitter and just being like, "Yo, somebody send me some beats. I'm trying to do some, you know, over a fan made beat." Yeah, that's when it was safe to give out the email and right. <laughs> have actual contact with people. So I had a couple bees sent through, uh, a couple packs. And yeah, I was just in the mood for something slow that day, just something that I could uh, just go out and do something totally different. But, um, well, to other people, it was totally different. For me, it was something that I had already worked on this style of writing and creating and just talking about things in a in a poetic way that aren't normal for a rapper. Yeah, that was just my chance, my opportunity to go ahead and get that get that off my chest. And um, yeah, I, man, it was crazy because when I did it, uh, like like everybody knows, I was freaking. Uh, filming everything at this time. So I'm doing day-to-days and all of that. And I left my camera at home and I heard the beat and I was like, man, we we need to we need to film me making this one. I was like, because this one's going to be a banger. And um, I sent one of my partners to the house to go and get the camera. By the time he got back, the song was completely done. So I was happy, but I was like, damn, yeah. And that was again. You said that was a quick record. What what is the sort of fastest is taking you to like make a record that you like, you know, that you love? Usually ten or fifteen minutes, like a real 10, 15 minutes to do, you know, both verses, hooks, and and things like that. Yeah, that was the that was the first time that I've done it like that, and since then every song like i figured like if it's a hit like that or if it's a banger if it's a classic um it's going to take me that long to at least just get straight through the song so that's normally what happens is just start from the beginning and it just goes straight through the song and then by the time the song is done then i'm done insane that's insane so it's like quick studio time you're not getting through too many mimosas right there while you're making music. I'm probably like five mimosas in at that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the other one is um, Still Blazing. I think I think is another sort of, um, you know, creative, different sort of sound. What, can you talk about Still Blazing a little bit? Yeah, shit. For that one, I kind of just explained it at the beginning. Like, usually I make a weed song, so I go weed song. Um <laughs> that was kind of like a tag phrase that I was using at the time, like for my mixtapes. <laughs> so I had maybe like three mixtapes before that that I just dropped. And at the beginning of each one of them, I said, usually I make a weed song. So here go a weed song. And then so for still blazing, 
uh, same thing. Followed up on that. What is a song that you go back and end up replaying a whole lot when you go back and think about this this album? I think I listen to Visions a lot. That's one of my favorite ones. And definitely. Did you mm-hmm. pinpoint the MF Doom? Like, were you familiar with the MF Doom sort of? Yeah, I was familiar with the samples. I mean, I am familiar with the sample, but it, it wasn't on purpose. Right. Nah. Um, that was actually something that I had to block out of my mind when I was recording it. Like, it has to sound totally different. It has to, you know, stand out on its own. But just lyrically, uh, some of the things I was saying in the verses, where my head was at when I was recording that was uh, was really good. And uh, Mesmerize, man. Mesmerize is always going to be a classic. Is there uh, something when you go back and listen to it that drives you crazy? Are you that, like a perfectionist in that way? Like I know people will be like, there's one word I miss or something like that. Is there something that you like? Or even just overall, nah. you're, nah. you know, young you making music? Nah, nah. I wouldn't have put it out if I wasn't happy with it. Yeah, I'm such a perfectionist like even if there's something that goes wrong or it's like not perfect i still let it slide was like yeah i heard that but it's it's all good and so it don't bother you nah hell no was there anything that was going to be on the album that did not make it or something that sounded totally different especially i mean obviously in addition to that how do you feel about the streaming version of the album that came out with with a little you know different beats yeah I don't listen. I don't listen to the streaming version. I don't know that version. <laughs> uh, that's like for sampling purposes. So when they start doing all that, that takes away from the original what I put out. So that's not what I put out. You know what I mean? That's not to say don't go stream it, but I don't listen to it. That everything that was supposed to be on there was on there. It's all intentional. I sat back. I put the whole list together in front of my homies. They was like, man, you need to put this song on there. I was like, no. They was like, don't put this song on there. I was like, get out. They was like, why are you doing it? There were some people who was like, why Why does it sound like this? I'm like, because I knew everything that that I wanted to do with this. So there was no, uh, there was no, no crumbs left. And is that sort of generally your process? Like you don't, like I know people make a million songs and then cut it down or you just, you just put out you know, what's what's going to be on the project? Well, if it takes me a year to do a project, I already narrowed it down. And the last couple songs are the ones that are just putting the stamp on it. So luckily I was at that point where I knew exactly what I wanted to sound like and who I wanted to reach. So it wasn't as far as like taking songs away. It was more like making you know, those songs to fill those spaces and, you know, bring across those emotions. Who are some of the new generation ambassadors of the weed rap that you pass the baton or the blunt to who are making that kind of music that you, that, that sort of, you know, came from you? Nobody. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I mean, like, I I mean, I guess one of the things, because we talk about drug, you know, Drug rap, rapping about drugs isn't as fun anymore. Like, it's sort of sad now, and it's not, like, as fun as, like, you and Currency doing it. I mean, is that is that why you say nobody's kind of carrying that on? I say nobody because nobody 
is like sticking straight to like, yo, I just smoke pot. That's it. Like, even if they don't do other things, they'll say it. Like, they'll say, talk about lean or they'll talk about pills. And they'll say, oh, it's because my homies do blah, blah, blah. But we don't talk about that. So, nobody. <laughs> <laughs> we got some rapid fire questions. This is a two part. It's and or. What is your favorite Disney show and or your favorite Demi Lovato song? Favorite Disney show? Yeah. The Proud Family. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> favorite Demi Lovato song? Uh, 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 <laughs> damn, what the fuck is that song called? I can't think of the name of it. Have you ever met her? Did you have y'all ever met? Y'all had a uh... yeah. We trained at the, we trained at the same gym. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's one of her recent songs too. She she got some hard shit. Demi hard. Uh, what is your favorite orange juice brand? My favorite orange juice brand is Simply. Okay. All right. And your favorite non cushion OJ blog air project. This is the tough one. Favorite non cushion OJ blog air project. So not mine. Right. Probably either Pilot Talk or Smokey Robinson, but both from current from currency. We did we did Pilot Talk on here. So I'm I'm a, I'm a lean I'm a lean to Pilot Talk because that's yeah, Pilot an absolute classic. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. All right. My final question here that, I, that we've asked everybody, uh, what is one song from another artist that you wish was yours? One song from another artist that I wish was mine. Uh, gin and Juice. That's a good song. It is absolute classic. <laughs> absolute classic. It's an old. It's an oldie now. It's an oldie. That shit's gonna be forever. Right. It is. It's, a, it's like uh, we'll be doing the electric slide to it at uh when we, when we're old. What's your favorite overall song about weed? Shit, my favorite overall song about weed. Um, let me think. There's a lot of weed songs. Ah, oh, shit. I guess like five on it got to be like the most popular, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's gotta be the, you know, the, the stoner, the real stoner. And like when you, when you get, start getting put on game and shit right. like that. Yeah. We'll start with five on it. We'll, we'll go with that one. Classic, classic, classic mm -hmm. weed song from somebody who made a classic album about weed with Khalifa. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you, man. Thank you for, being here, man, talking about like again an undeniable five star that changed the game, changed your career, obviously changed the way people looked at the blog era, looked at projects that came out of the blog era, opened the door for a lot of people to be seen, um, and a lot of the art that was coming out of that time. So, you know, incredibly influential work. Thank you so much for making this project. Thank you for coming here. And for everybody listening, thank you for listening to Rap Stories with Wiz Khalifa, talking about Kush and OJ. I'm your host, David Dennis Jr., and we will see you soon. This podcast is produced by Podville Media for Anscape, a Black-led media platform dedicated to creating, highlighting, and uplifting diverse Black stories. Anscape, where Blackness is infinite. Dina Morrison is the series producer. Our production team... Brittany Danielle, Rob Spiewak, Lenika Belfield-Martin, Ethan Sands, and Eli Nellis. 
The series was edited by Stephen Williams, Kelsey Johnson, and Rob Ford. Executive producers, Steve Reese, Elizabeth Elson, and Oscar Zabayos. Raina Kelly is Anscape's Vice President and Editor-in-Chief. David Oku created the original artwork for the series. Special thanks to Tracy Smith, Mike Shahade, Rami Mogadam, Katie Lawson, Beth Stoikov, Anna Grambling, Ashley Melfi, John Gotti, Kelly Evans, Ryan Broadhead, and Kevin Wilson. And I'm your host, David Dennis Jr. Thank you for listening.